Thank you guys. It's great to be here. Good evening, Shoreline Church. I'm uh, Joe Collins, and always a pleasure to be here with you this evening. We are uh, continuing the series, Jesus Worth Following. I want to say thank you. I believe it was to Steve Burns for taking care of service last Sunday for Father's Day at the park. That's correct. I'm sure he did a great job. Last time I was here, uh, we talked about that faith was more than just saying the right things, but it was also about doing the right things. You can, you remember John the Baptist, poor cat, trying to be baptized there, didn't want to be baptized, and John thought that the cat should have thought about that before it joined his church. Today I want to talk about making the most of every moment. So there was a duck that wanted to cross the road. And as it was standing on the side of the road, waiting for a break in the traffic, cars were going by, a chicken came up next to the duck <clears throat> and stood on the side of the road. And after some time, the chicken looked at the duck and said, don't do it, you'll never hear the end of it. All right, that one didn't go up. We'll move on. Some moments are more significant than other moments, but that doesn't mean that the other moments aren't meaningful or aren't important. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together this evening. Thank you for this great group of brothers and sisters here. Thank you for this great church. We pray for your spirit to be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, just as you enter it, and you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, for those of you that may not know, we've been in a series, and we're going through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and we're just kind of going moment by moment really scene by scene in the Gospel of Mark and trying to get out of it what, what God would want us to get out of it. And if you remember from last time, Jesus was in an area in Palestine. If you look on the map, you'll see in the bottom part of the map there, uh, Jerusalem and Bethany. And if you were to go, let's see from your angle, if you were going to go a little bit to the up above Bethany and a little bit to the right, that would have been the area of where the city of Jericho was. And you might remember that there were actually two cities of Jericho. And Jesus did this miraculous healing of a blind man named Bartimaeus there. That was our, our message from last time. Well, between that time... And where we pick up in Mark chapter 11, a few weeks have passed. And a number of interesting things have happened during that time. Jesus made his way down into the city of Bethany, which you see on the screen there. This was a very small city. I'm going to show you a little blow up here. It was a very small city about two miles away from the city of Jerusalem. And if you look at the map, you'll see that there was a town in between called Bethphage. We're going to talk about that today too. And then there's, a, then there's the temple in the main city of Jerusalem. Well, Bethphage basically sat at the top of what was called the Mount of Olives. It was a little hill that was between Jerusalem and the city of Bethany. So even though the city of Bethany was very close to Jerusalem, it was maybe two miles, if that, there was a mountain in the way. There was a hill in the way. And so the two cities really couldn't see each other. Bethany is significant 
because it was a common stopping place for Jesus and his disciples when he would visit the city of Jerusalem. If you know a little bit of the story, Jesus spent almost his entire adult life in Galilee. That's the northern part of the city of Palestine. You can see up there a city called Capernaum up at the, on the map in the back. You see the Sea of Galilee there. That's what that lake is. That's where Jesus primarily spent his ministry. And he kind of zigzagged all over that area for two, two and a half years, maybe three years. And he preached repentance, practiced grace, and he became quite well known. Well, a few times a year, he would journey down into the south of Palestine, into an area called Galilee, to the city of Jerusalem. And when he did that, he would stay at the town of Bethany. That was his normal place to stay. As a matter of fact, he probably stayed, for the most part, at the home of a, of a, a brother and two sisters. You might know their names, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. The town of Bethany, many people believe, was actually settled by... Galileans, people who were from the north of Palestine, who, who wanted to be close to the city of the, uh, 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 of the city of Jerusalem and to the temple. And they basically migrated down and took up residence in the town of Bethany. And so it was probably a very common place for all kinds of pilgrims from the north when they would come to visit the city of Jerusalem to stay. It was kind of the, the place to hang out. That's where they felt comfortable. They could stay the night there. And then it was just a short walk up and over the hill of the Mount of Olives into the city to do their religious things. And then at night, they would come back out and stay in the town of Bethany. Now, something else really significant happened between the time that Jesus healed Bartimaeus and his stay in Bethany. And it's not recorded in the Gospel of Mark, but I have to tell you about it because it's relevant to the story. Lazarus had died. And Jesus, when he arrived in Bethany, a few days after Lazarus died, rose Lazarus from the dead. Now, why is this significant? Well, as I said, Jesus spent about three years or so zigzagging all over northern Palestine, preaching repentance, practicing grace. And during that time, he became quite well known. In fact, his notoriety surpassed that of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, up to this point, was one of the most loved prophets of the people of Israel at the time. Everyone knew John the Baptist. They loved and revered John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist was taken away. He was arrested and eventually killed. And Jesus sort of filled his shoes. But not only did he fill his shoes, he went way beyond the notoriety or the notoriousness depending on who you talk to, of John the Baptist. Now, I'm setting the scene. Passover's coming. Passover was one of those holidays, maybe the primary holiday, where Jewish pilgrims from all over the land of Palestine would come to Jerusalem for about a week. They'd come there to celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They'd stay there for about a week. So the city of Jerusalem was swelling in population. Hundreds and thousands of pilgrims were pouring in to the city. They were taking the route, the same route Jesus took, down through Perea, down through the two Jerichos, sometimes through Bethany, Bethpage, and then into the city, or staying in villages and towns all around, or camping out. But the city itself would swell into three, four, five times its normal size. And Jesus, in the midst of this pilgrimage and this pouring of people into the city of Jerusalem, heals, or raises, doesn't heal, raises somebody from the dead. 
You can imagine the uh, rumor mill as that story spread. You could imagine as pilgrim after pilgrim passed on, did you hear he raised Lazarus from the dead? Did you hear about this? And you could imagine what's happening to the, to the notoriety of Jesus at this point. He's already popular. He's already incredibly well known. And now he is in the stratosphere. It is becoming palatable, palatable. The, the interest in Jesus and where is he and what, what's going on. And we heard about what he did. In fact, the other gospels tell us that it got so intense that Jesus had to sneak out of Bethany for a time and hide in the wilderness. And then he snuck his way back into Bethany. The Jewish leaders, the religious authorities were so uncomfortable with how much notoriety Jesus was gaining that they were wanting him dead. They had decided he should die and they were trying to figure out a way to kill him. And when they heard about what happened to Lazarus, they actually plotted to kill Lazarus too because they wanted to get rid of any evidence of anything Jesus did that was great. So Jesus is in the town of Bethany. And he's preparing for a coming out party. He's preparing for something significant here. You know, we celebrated Shoreline's 27th anniversary a couple weeks ago. Great service. I want to thank everybody that shared. They did an amazing job. It was incredibly encouraging. And you might think, why 27? I mean, you know, 30, 40, 50, those are kind of normal anniversary celebrations. Why 27? Well, because every moment matters. Every, every, every uh, uh, anniversary, in my opinion, is significant. Some may be more than others, but every one of them is important. And I believe just like Jesus's, in Jesus' day at this time, he was ready. There was something that was going to happen, and we're going to get into that in a second. Just like for Jesus, something was about, big, was about to happen, I think Shoreline's on the verge of something great. Amen. We've done a lot of reorganizing. There's been changes. There's been all kinds of things that happened over 27 years, and we've landed on Mission Love which by all accounts, people are excited and interested in. And I really believe God is leading us into the next chapter. And so I think it's important that we don't just ignore these important moments. They may not be as big as number 50, but that doesn't make them any less important. Verse 3. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered, as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. So Jesus is in Bethany, and something's about to happen. Now, to give you a little time frame, it's probably a Sunday. In fact, it is a Sunday. And Jesus is now ready to make, I would, not his first, but what, what, what would amount to be his most significant public appearance to date. He had been appearing in public in a, at a number of different times, but it was usually up in Galilee. It was usually in faraway places. And it was 
uh, it was usually a local event. But at this point in time, almost all of Israel, most of Israel has made its way down into the city of Jerusalem. They're in Galilee and they're looking for him because they've heard about all these things. And then they heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And so now there's this, there's this, um, mountain of interest in wanting to see and hear from Jesus. And Jesus, sensing the time, sensing the moment, decides to come out of hiding and enter into the city of Jerusalem in a very public and very intentional way. None of this story is by chance. Jesus is doing everything he's doing here absolutely on purpose. Even when he sends two of his disciples ahead, and by the way, he sent them to the town of Bethphage. We'll talk about that in a second. But he sent them there ahead in the morning on Sunday. And by doing that, the crowd started to realize, the pilgrims and all the people around started to realize, oh, these are two of Jesus' disciples. Hey, they're out in public. Hey, they're, they're looking for a cult. Hey, they're preparing for Jesus to show up. And rumor, word starts to spread. And what's happening, although Mark doesn't record it, is literally people by the thousands are streaming out of the city of Jerusalem and they're starting to line the road between Bethphage and the city of Jerusalem. Now remember, Jesus is in Bethany. It's about a mile walk up to the top of the Mount of Olives to where the city of Bethphage was. That's where he sent his disciples ahead to find a cult. And from Bethphage to about to the, to the entrance of Jerusalem is maybe about eight football fields. And that route is being lined by thousands of people who have begun to hear the rumor that Jesus is in the area and that he's on his way to Jerusalem. Now you think about the story and you go, man, all these big things are happening. Why in the world does Mark go into such detail about the cult? It is kind of curious to me, but he has several verses about, hey, go get me a cult. You'll find it here. When you find it, say this. They'll let you do it. And then it says they went and did that and everything happened like he said. I mean, he spends several verses on the finding of this cult in the midst of this incredible moment, this incredible time. And it got me thinking, what would be the reason? Why would Mark focus suddenly? Why would he get so, so uh, laser-focused on this story? So I want to tell you a story. A few months ago, several months ago now, uh, Lynette and I had a chance to go to Chicago. We don't travel a ton, but we were in Chicago because we were on a, uh, uh, at a conference for Hope Worldwide. Those of you that don't know, Hope Worldwide is a charity that our church is partnered with. And we, in addition to being full-time in the ministry, we also are chapter directors for Hope. And so we went to the conference, and it was great, and you'd have your meetings, and then at night you'd go out for dinner. And I, if you couldn't tell, like to eat. And so we go out, and I'm always looking for somewhere cool to eat, right? So somewhere hipster or whatever. And we find this place, and it's all hipster. You know how it is. And, and uh, no offense, Mike, but everybody's got tattoos. And AJ, you know, they all look cool like these guys. And, and there's open tables, and you kind of sit with everybody. You know, it's one of these places. And I can't help but talking to everybody, mainly because I want to try what they're eating. And, and I'm fair. I'll let them try what I'm eating. So we build friendships at the table. We all share the meal. We get to try all kinds of things. We ate fried pork ears. It was awesome. They were great. But while we were there, there were two women that sat at the table with us, and we were talking to them. And of course, at some point, the whole what do you do, what do you do comes up, and they find out that we're in the ministry, and one of them gets really interested. 
and she starts really chatting us up about it. And it turns out she's married and she lives in Wisconsin and she's looking for a church. And we're like, well, hey, uh, we're actually a pretty big church. We've got churches all over the place. I'm thinking, I have no idea where the church in Wisconsin is. I don't know. I'm on my phone trying to look it up. And I take my best guess. I think I give her a website. That's as good as I got. I give her a website. Like, I think this is it. Check this one out, you know. Well, we had a great time. We come back. Two, three months go by. I get a phone call. It's from a brother in our church in Wisconsin. And he says, hey, are you Joe Collins? I go, yeah. He goes, well, you had a visitor to our service this past Sunday. This woman came out with her husband. They seemed to really like it. We're going to lunch afterwards. Just wanted to tell you how cool that, you know, really thank you for referring her. Great. And it was all encouraging, right? I was super fired up and I was all encouraged. And those moments when those things happen, they're really exciting. And then I realized something. I started thinking about it and I thought, you know, Whenever we go to do God's work, right? Whenever we put ourselves out there and we do God's work, something as small as an invitation to church, we often find out that God has already been at work. In other words, I had nothing to do with the fact that this woman was already looking for a church. She was already kind of interested. We just happened to be there and invite her. But God was already doing the work. And I think that's kind of the message Mark is wanting to leave us with. He told the disciples to go into the city to find a donkey weird directions and they go in and they find a donkey and guess what they figured out oh god was already at work here this was already arranged this is already being set up and when they take the donkey the guy goes what are you taking my donkey for and they go well the master needs it oh go ahead take the donkey he'll bring it back god is always at work Even when we don't realize it, even in the mundane things, God's out there behind the scenes. Now, I want to make another point. I'm going to tell you another story. I have a dear friend named Mike Castro. He's a brother up in the Simi Church. Great guy. He's got two little boys, single dad. And he was telling me about his little boy. He's a couple years old. And they they would sit down, and uh, he would always pray before they eat, every time he'd have them over for his time. And one time he forgot... And his little boy, Reese, said, Dad, you forgot to pray. And Mike was like, man, I had no idea he was even paying attention. You know, like, oh, here I am all these times, so let's pray. And they don't even act like they know what's going on. But the one time he forgets, Reese is right there like, hey, Dad, you forgot to pray. And what I get out of that story is that even in the regular mundane things, even in the minuscule everyday things of life, God is working. These things matter. Now, I tell you that because we all want to hear about the story of the woman that I met in Chicago who lives in Wisconsin and ends up going to church in Wisconsin after one interaction over dinner. We all want that story. And the truth is, that story never happens, or very rarely. I mean, I, in my 20-some-odd years as a Christian, I got like one, right? There's one of those stories, maybe two. And maybe you have one or two, and good for you. But the vast majority of your experiences, the vast majority of my experience, when I go out to do God's will, what typically happens is somebody argues with me, somebody doesn't want to give me their number, I feel like a fool, I get rejected, sometimes they get mad at me. That's normally what happens. But Mike reminded me that even when we do God's will and there doesn't seem to be an outcome, Something is happening. 
God is doing work even when it doesn't look like work is being done. And so every dinner prayer, every heart-to-heart talk, every time, little discipline with your children, every working out a conflict with your wife, every resolving issues with your coworker, every one of those moments, they actually matter. They actually mean something. Something great is actually occurring even though you may not see it happening right away. So I really believe that Mark told the story because he wanted us to know that these moments matter. Verse 7. When they brought the cult to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So Jesus is in the town of Bethphage. It's on top of the Mount of Olives, just about 800 foot, about eight football fields away from Jerusalem. There's the colt. They put some coat, the coats on it. He gets on top of it. There's crowds all around and he begins heading into the city. And the thousands and thousands of people that are lining the road are cheering for Jesus. And they're shouting out praises to God and they're quoting Old Testament verses from the Bible. And it's this incredible moment, this incredible, exciting moment where Jesus is coming in to the city of Jerusalem very publicly. We call it today Palm Sunday because they put branches, they put coats and and, and, and uh, uh, plant leaves and probably palms on the ground as he went in. They were rolling out the red carpet. Something significant is also happening. Something very deep and something very theological that you may not know of. And I'm going to talk about it for a second because it'll help your faith. The city of Bethphage is probably a city you never heard of. You probably know nothing about it. Very few. I didn't know much about it until I dug in and started studying it out. But it was actually part of the city of Jerusalem. It was considered like a district of the city of Jerusalem. Even though it was outside the wall, even though it was about eight football fields away, it was a city of priests. In fact, Bethphage was one of the seats of the Sanhedrin. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of words at you. The Sanhedrin was like the Jewish Supreme Court back in those days. And they basically had two main offices. One was in the temple in the city of Jerusalem, and one was at Bethphage. And so lots of religious work would get done at Bethphage. And one of the things, or some of the things that they would do at Bethphage is they would decide the beginning and end of things. And so they would decide when uh, Passover would start and when it would end and when the new year would start and when it would end. They would decide how big the city of Jerusalem should be, how big the temple should be. These kinds of border issues, these boundary issues, these beginnings and endings were always decided there at Bethphage. It's no surprise that Jesus intentionally chose Bethphage at this moment, at the height of his notoriety. It's no surprise that he chose that city to be ordained in, to be christened Messiah in, to be seated on the colt and to begin his entry into the city of Jerusalem. It's as if he was being inaugurated. Now, the people at the time may not have made that connection, but when we look back and we, we understand the greater story, we start to realize, wow, 
None of this story was out of was just by accident. This is all intentional. You know, when uh, we have an election, the winner, after a period of time, I think they go to the Capitol. I forget where they go. I think they go to the Capitol and they get sworn in by a judge. And then they do a parade from the Capitol to the White House. This is not unlike that, where Jesus went to Bethphage, one of the seats of the Sanhedrin, mounted a donkey, and then made his parade into the city and into the temple. And just like in our day and age, CNN and Fox are arguing about how big the crowd was, you know, oh, this crowd wasn't as big as last year's crowd, that kind of thing. The rabbis in Jesus' day were arguing over how should the Messiah enter the city. You know, in the Jewish tradition, they believed that there would be a Messiah who would come and rescue the people. And they were waiting for this Messiah. And they had a big debate. When, when would he come and what would he look like and how would it be? And would he enter the city as a, as a king riding on a majestic white horse or would he come in as a servant? What kind of, how would he enter the city? How would we know? And if they had read Zechariah more closely, one of their prophets, they would have seen, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was a prophecy written by a prophet several hundred years before Jesus entered the city. And he described that the Messiah, and he said that the Messiah would enter the city as both a king and a servant. He came in to the city of Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago with great fanfare, with great celebration. The red carpet was being rolled out as if he had just been appointed king. Yet he sat on a donkey, on, on, actually on a colt, on the, the child of a donkey. The other Gospels tell us that as he entered the city, he actually wept because of his love for the people and for the city. What we see in this story is Jesus fulfilling this prophecy very intentionally. He's entering as both king and servant. You know, one thing I have figured out is that in these moments that we have in our life, whether they're big and miraculous or whether they're mostly small and everyday, like usually they are, how I act in those moments makes all the difference. If you're ever going to have any impact in the people around you, in the 166 hours you spend during the week, minus the two hours you spend here, if you're going to have any impact on your kids, on your coworkers, on your friends, on your neighbors, you're going to have to act both majestic and humble. We're going to have to carry ourselves as a king with integrity and righteousness. And we're going to have to be willing to be a good example, someone that people can follow and look up to, but at the same time, we're going to have to be very humble. We're going to have to become a servant. One of my saddest things, bittersweet things, is to see Mike and Mercedes moving away. We all know and love Mike and Mercedes. They're amazing people. Had breakfast with Mike last week, and I'm just heartbroken. Happy 
but heartbroken. He said the same to me. But I'm just going to be honest here and put Mike on the spot. But if I wish I was anybody, I want to be Mike. You guys know Mike. Mike is awesome. He is one cool dude. And I look up to him so much. I mean, I love, this is Mike. This is Mike. Mike goes, well, Mercedes has got to leave earlier. I have to stay back here to finish some work. So I'm just going to live in a tent. Like, who does that? Like, he's like, I don't care. No big deal. I'm like, I want to be Mike. I would be afraid in a tent. I would be crying in a tent. I wouldn't, I would starve. I wouldn't know what to do. No, Mike, he's Mr. Rugged. He's awesome. But at the same time, Mike is an incredible servant. He really exemplifies both. And Mike, I really want to encourage you as you go. We're going to love and miss you, but go be you back east. Because who you are is really, to me, an example of who we need to be. Carry ourselves with a lot of integrity, a lot of decency, but at the same time, being very humble. And I appreciate your example over the years. And with me more recently, I really admire it. But I want to challenge all of us to be like that. To be the kind of people who carry ourselves with integrity, yet are humble. How have you been doing? The story ends, and I'm going to end with this, and it's kind of funny. In verse 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's almost comical. This big moment, the biggest moment in Jesus' life to date, his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. It's the moment that he comes in and makes himself known that I am the Messiah. I am, I am who you think I am. I am who everybody says I am. Here I come exactly as Zechariah promised. I was anointed there at Beth, at Bethphage and I'm coming in on the donkey, riding on in. I mean, come on, all the signs, all the symbols are there. Everything's lining up. Can't you see this, right? It's the perfect moment. And by the time everything got going, he had to send the disciples ahead to get the donkey. And by the time he got there and the crowds were there, and by the time he got through the parade and all the popcorn, he finally gets into the city and the lights are off. It's time to go to bed. Everybody goes home. He has just enough time to kind of look around the temple and the sun went down. They didn't have lights. So when the sun went down, you went to bed. Everybody left. It's so funny to me. It's so anticlimactic. So he turns around and goes back to Bethany. (laughs) Okay, well, that was that. Here's what I want to leave you with. There's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many days in a week, only so many weeks in a year, only so many years in a life. Let's make every one of them count. Let's not be the chicken who tries to tell the duck not to cross the road. Don't miss your moments because every one of them matters. It's been a joy being with you tonight. I'm going to close us out in a word of prayer. Let's stand on up. We'll close out with a word of prayer and enjoy some great fellowship. Father, thank you so very much.